Praise God, what an amazing morning it has been to see people walking into the waters of baptism, to see so many people in our body stand up to serve the Lord this summer. God is so good. We're meeting with the real and true God, amen? amen. Let's be vocal today. We're talking about God, we're talking about Jesus, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we just take a moment right now to pause and just draw close to you. We, God, in this moment, we pray that you would draw close to our hearts, that you would open up our minds, that you would open up our hearts, that you would open up our, our ears to know you more. God, we know by the power of the Holy Spirit and your word, it is sharp, God. It will help us, it will lead us, and it will change us when we apply it to our lives. So God, this morning, we pray that that would happen, that we would open up your word and that we would be changed by it, that we wouldn't be the same person uh, as we are now when we leave here today, knowing that we're meeting with the true, real, living God. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been gathering over the summer, and we've been looking at Jesus, the master storyteller, as he opens up the word. As we open up the word, he's been sharing stories to teach us how his kingdom goes and how or what we can expect. And this morning, we will take another journey, and we will look at another parable. But before we get there, let me share a few things with you. John Piper, an amazing preacher, said this. He said, I don't so much pray that my death will be without pain, but that it would be without doubt. Helen Keller said, death is no more than passing from one room into another, but there's a difference for me, you know, because in that other room, I shall be able to see. Augustine said, then, they then who are destined to die need not be careful to inquire what death they are to die, but in what place death will usher them. And Charles Spurgeon said, never fear dying, beloved. He's speaking to the church. He says, dying is the last but the least matter that a Christian has to be anxious about. This morning, as we gathered together on this Sunday morning, singing praises, witnessing the powerful works of God in the lives of people, we're going to slow down and we're going to look at another story and we're going to talk about what happens when I die. What happens when I die. And when it comes to the issue of death and what happens following death, we're going to look to Jesus. Jesus will instruct us here this morning. And before we read his words, which are the supreme authority and importance, I do briefly want to address a few options you may have when it comes to death. Now, why options and not just go directly in what the Word of God says? Well, I want to share the options because sometimes we treat theology uh, and doctrine like a buffet. We take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we add some experience to it. We add some emotion, and eventually we get us some religion. We got us some religion going on. And sometimes it's a, mix, a mixture of so many different things. And I want to just show you the options this morning and present them to you. So one, you'll know they exist. And two, I want to try to compel you to seek out the scripture and take an investigative look yourself to what Jesus has to say. So I'm gonna share five views this morning about what people may believe happens when you die. And I wanna give a little disclaimer about these five views. This is not an exhaustive list. I'm only listing the five views, and in each of the views I'm going to teach, I'm not going to teach or explain in depth the ins and outs of each one. I'm just going to give you a quick overall basis. I know there's more, and then you could add so much to them. I don't want your emails about them. I just want to present them, and then we'll just jump into what God has to say. Amen? 
All right, so five views. The first one that you'll see is the naturalist. They will tell you that you don't have a soul, that you're, body, that you're just a body, and when you die, you cease to exist. Nothing else. Nothing's coming. There's no God. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There is just nothing after. You die, and then it's it. It's lights out. You're dead. There is no existence of any sort after your death. And for some of us, we would say, who would believe that? I know many who believe that. I work at a university uh, through the week and when school's in, and I talk to many people who believe that nothing happens after you die. Another view that you will see is the universalist. And this is a hot topic in the Christian church. Many books are written about this topic. This topic kind of takes the attribute of God's love and kind of elevates it more than all the other attributes, and which is dangerous. And many who hold this position believe that many who die will meet Jesus and be so overwhelmed by his presence, they will turn to him and be saved at that moment, after death. Some have said that all religions lead to God and in turn will lead to salvation in Christ. So many ways to God. And many believe heaven will be full and heaven will be scarcely populated. And there also is, there's this, there's this belief that there will be an opportunity for post-mortem salvation. That you can live your life any way, do whatever you want. You only live once, use that acronym YOLO, and you just, you die and then you meet God. You're so overwhelmed, you fall to your knees and you say, God, please have mercy on me. And God says, okay, come on in. The next view is the reincarnationist. They believe the soul upon death of the body comes back to earth in another form or another body. You die in return, you die in return, you die in return, and that you have to pay off some karmatic debt to a god or gods of the universe. So this is a view that religion holds and people hold in the world. Another view is called the annihilationism. Annihilationism. The teaching that after death, unbelievers suffer the penalty of God's wrath for a time, and then they are annihilated or destroyed. So there's just a little, small, maybe small period of time where you are punished, and then eventually you just, there's no more punishment, there's no more pain, there's no more nothing. You just cease to exist. You are destroyed. Some forms of this teaching hold that annihilation occurs immediately upon death. So you die, you judge, you feel it, and you're gone. And the last view I want to share to you, just a, a view that is out there, I want to include this in, is purgatory. In the Roman Catholic doctrine, purgatory is the place where the souls of believers go to further purify from sin until they're admitted into heaven. So five views this morning that I wanted to just kind of put out there so that you know they exist. And then I want to challenge you. I want to come against you to get you to look into the word of God. Because there is other views or the supreme view of the word of God and what that has to say on this issue. And in a moment, we're going to read the words of Jesus Christ, the most loving, humble, helpful servant who ever lived on the earth. But I got a couple quick facts for you. Quick facts about Jesus. When we read the words of God, we want to read the words in red. If you look in Luke is where we're going to be today, Luke 16, we're looking at all red here today, and these are the actual words of Jesus. We want to study the holistic ministry of Jesus, the whole thing, and we want to read about what Jesus has done and what his mission is, and that's what we've been teaching through the, through the parables over the summer, but I want to give you a couple quick facts about Jesus. Jesus speaks of hell more than anyone in the Bible, more than anybody. Roughly 13% of his teaching are on this topic alone. Jesus speaks of hell, judgment, and punishment, 
And roughly half of the parables, we've been going on this journey, stories that Jesus tell. If you look, if you were to take all the parables and line them up together, you're going to see roughly over half of them talk about reference to judgment, punishment, and afterlife. One author said this, We in the province of God, as the debate around this issue rages within Christianity, we arrive at Jesus' words in this, in this, in this uh, parable, in Luke, at this very important issue. And some would say Jesus is so loving that Jesus doesn't believe in hell. Jesus loves us so much. And I would say that the most loving person who has ever lived not only believes in hell, but clearly and repeatedly teaches on it. Which means that sin is more damnable than we could fathom if it requires the most loving person to speak in the most stark of terms. The existence of hell and the instruction by Jesus of hell should reveal, should reveal to us how sinful sin truly is and how rebellious we really are. This is a primary issue. See, we gather and we talk about doctrine, we talk about theology, and we talk about what we believe, but I want to challenge and ask you, what do you believe on this issue personally? A primary issue in theology what do you personally believe happens? Because you have to get this right because it's your life. You're living it. And if your theology is off and it's wrong, it's going to have some consequences for you. Like my lawnmower at home, before I start it up and I pull that chain, I have to prime the pump. I have to prime it, get a little oil, a little gas in there. So when I, when I pull it, it turns over and runs. Before we look at our scripture this morning, I want to do the same thing. I want to prime your theology so when we break down, so that we can break down this scripture. So a few things you need to know. We, both you and I, are created in the image of God. We are image bearers. Say that with me. I bear the image. Ooh, ooh, we're vocal today. I bear the image of God. I'm created in the image of God in two parts. Here it is, two parts. I'm a physical body and a spiritual soul, both at the same time. We are both physical and spiritual, and we know that death is a result of sin, Romans 6, 20, 6 23. And upon death, our bodies cease to function. They go into the ground, and they are buried. But our spiritual souls, even though we die physically, they continue to live. We believe this. It's a primary part of our doctrine. We know that all people, believers and non-believers, we sin. So that means all will die. So if we all die a physical death, what happens to our living souls? Well, let, let's look at the, the Word of God. Let's look there. So if you turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, we're going to read this parable together. Jesus is going to answer those questions for us. Ready? Let's do this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. He lived in luxury every day. At his gates was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Pause. This is not the same Lazarus that you know of. This is not the same Lazarus that was raised from the dead. This is not Jesus' friend Lazarus. This is someone else in the parable. He was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and my version says in hell, verse 23, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus 
to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is, now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And but besides this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone raises someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God. May I add a blessing to it as we read it. We're going to break down the passage a little bit. What do we see here? What's going on? What is, this, what is Jesus trying to teach us from this? Well, this parable, as I was studying, is very unique to Luke, and it is the only one to name one of its characters. No other parable has a name in it as, as Jesus displays this. The naming of the poor man as Lazarus and the failure to name the rich man personalizes the level of concern for the poor man while making it clear that the rich man is a rep representative figure. So what does this all mean? Well, it means that God cares about poor people. God cares about poor people and that God cares about those who are hurting. See, God cares about those who are in need and God, I love this part, knows his name. God knows his name. We're reading this. What can we apply to our own lives? That God cares about those who are poor in spirit. That God cares about those who are poor in their finances. God cares about those who are hurting. And God cares about those who are in need. And God knows their name. You came in here this morning. You fall into any of that category. I know I do. I have something on my side. God knows it. God knows my name. Amen? Real, true, living God knows your name this morning. No matter your situation today, God knows you, knows your name, and God is fully aware of your situation. Please know and understand this, that God, our God, our mighty God that we have sang to this morning, he is not surprised by your situation. By our trials and by our test results, those do not surprise him. And God, get this right now. This is a good one. God is unshakable when we shake. When I'm shaking in fear and knowing I don't know what's going to happen and I'm, I'm, I'm hurting a little bit and I'm sore and I just don't know what to do, God is not shaking even when I'm shaking. And I love that about Jesus. I love that about my God that I can go to the rock when I'm a mess. See, I've noticed in my own life, and I just want to make this a little personal right now, in my own walk, that when, with Jesus, that hard times, they come. We are not exempted because we, we follow Jesus. Hard times are going to come. Situations are going to come. Storms are going to arise. But I know, and I've been learning, that when I, in these situations, I find myself seeking the Lord in a way I've never done before. See, something new will come my way, something I've never experienced, and this causes me to reach out to the Lord in a whole new way. 
Like I began to pray prayers I've never prayed before. I've been, I began to say words to God that I've never said in my whole life. Even just last week, Pastor Dwayne and Brett doing a phenomenal job with our youth, praise God. They put on a concert. They brought in a band. We packed out the house. We were praising the Lord. Pastor Dwayne preaching up a storm. It was great. But there was a moment when we were singing one of these songs and I just had to sit down because I was overwhelmed by God and his presence. I remember in my Bible, I had a piece of scrap paper and I wrote down these words. Every problem, every trial, every hurt leads me to pray and seek you in a new way. God, I find myself saying things to you that I have never said before. And here it is, Lord. You're not surprised. And I have comfort that you know my name. See, God cares and God is not absent. So take that situation that you're in or that thing that you're thinking about and present it before the unshakable God. Back to our story. See, Jesus does not mention the rich man's name. So the rich man could be any rich individual. Remember, parables are stories that Jesus uses to teach us important truth to help remind us and instruct us in the ways of God. So when we break down our story this morning, we break down our passage, I'm gonna do it in three different ways, okay? We're gonna first look at the earthly life, then we're gonna move into death, death has come, and then we're gonna wrap it up with a conversation from the grave. Cool? Let's go. Earthly life, verses 19 through 22. We have two very different lives. In the story, Jesus is telling the audience, he's speaking to the, to the tax collectors, and he's speaking to the Pharisees. He says this, he says, the rich man was very wealthy. He lived in a gated home. He wore expensive clothes, and he lived in luxury every day. Now, wearing clothes with purple dye, if you have a Bible that gives you a little bit of instruction, you'll see if you look down in your Bible or if you just know this, that wearing clothes with purple dye was a sign of luxury and status. We know that they used to take these little snails and they would crush them and the little, they would produce a little bit of purple dye. So to get that dye to make a whole garment took a lot of time, so it was worth more. So people who owned those, it was kind of like a status symbol in the community. If you wore the purple, you were someone. People knew who, who you were. The poor man was a man with nothing. This man was considered a beggar, as the text reads, and he needed help getting to the gate each day. I read in verse 20 he was laid. I asked the question, was he paralyzed? Was he too weak to walk? We don't know. It's not listed here. We don't know. The man's name was Lazarus, and when I looked this up, it means, I love this. I wrote this down, did a little highlighting, that God is my help helper. That's his name. That's what it means. His heart desire was to have the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table and Lazarus was covered in sores and dogs would come and lick the sores and that's important for us to know that the licking is significant since it makes Lazarus ceremonially unclean. I was in Guatemala a few years ago and we would travel through the poor towns. We'd come down out through the mountains down to the lower regions and there would be poorer towns there and there would be people who were sick who would be brought out into the center square and they would be laid there as tourists and people would come through the town, they would beg for money. 
On this particular time, there was a lot, it's a, it's a pretty intense time to go in there. We were walking through, and I have a friend who's my, one of my best friends, huge big guy, his name's Sean. We walked into this square, and they're trying to sell, they're trying to make business, they're trying to make money, so they're selling little, little things for you to buy. And I was literally overwhelmed with people. I couldn't even see Sean. Like, he was gone, I'm little, People in Guatemala are little too, which is great. I kind of fit right in in that community. I love Guatemala. Like, hey, you're my people. We're all little. If you're from Guatemala, amen. (laughs) But this one moment, like, they all gathered around us, and they were like, buy this, get this, all in Spanish. I know eight words. Si. Buenas noches. (laughs) I was starting to panic, and I couldn't see. And all I see is Sean just... Moving people out of the way, he's a big giant. He picks me up, like, he brings me out. And we finally get clear of all the people. And then we're on the other side of the park. And there was a man there. He was just laying there. And he, I didn't know what was going on. He was just laying on the side of the road. We didn't know if he was okay. But there was a dog. And the dog was licking him. So Sean and I went over to the dog to get the dog away. And the man realizes that we're doing that and stops us. Because if we were to hit the dog or move the dog, I wouldn't hit a dog. I wouldn't hit a dog. But if we were to move the dog out of the way, that was not good in that, that area. They cared more about the dogs in Guatemala than they did the people on the street. So when I read this and I see that, that this man was out against the gate, I have a personal reference to that, seeing these people that were laying on the streets and the dogs would come and lick them. And if they were to push them away or kick them away, they would be treated even harshly than what they were presented in at that moment. Lazarus' situation, it's tragic. And the rich man, it's full of luxury. And when I look at this this reading and I look at this scripture, I ask, why does God or why does Jesus share these details about about their earthly lives when we're talking about what happens after? See, why does Jesus paint the picture for the audience who are the tax collectors, sinners, and Pharisees? And please note in Luke 16, 14, It says that the Pharisees, he names them. He also throws a tagline on it. It says, the ones who love money. So he's speaking to them, and I ask, why does he do this? What is the takeaway? Well, how we treat others, it matters to God. It counts. How we live on this side, it counts. How your daily goals, our daily goals, they count. They either count for us or they count against us. And there are so many with so much who can change the lives of others. You see, in God's kingdom, in God's way of doing things, we are expected to live in such a way that brings glory to God and help and love and cherish and reach out to those who are close to us, our neighbors. And when we look at the Greek word of neighbors, it's not just somebody who lives beside us. It's someone who's in the vicinity of us at that moment. So right now, y'all are my neighbors, And we don't live by each other. Just because we're close, that means that we need to be looking out for each other. That's the way God's kingdom works. Love God with all of your heart, your mind, your strength. These are all physical components of the body. And love God with all your soul. That's the spiritual. Remember, we went back. We were both physical and spiritual at the same time. And God instructs us to live and love that way as well. In 2009, I led a team to New York City, and we were doing this prayer walk. And if you know, or if you've heard, or if you know anybody that went on the mission tour last year to New York, ask them about the prayer walk. It's intense. 
That's all I'm going to say. We start at one part of the city and we take the students up to the other part of the city. It's a long day of walking and it's done that way so that they can see the diversity of the city. We make our way through the streets so so the students, they can see the differences. At the Wall Street Bowl, they're going to see the influence of power. Underground in the subways and sides of buildings, you're going to see homeless. But there's this one place where these two worlds collide and it's the Trump Towers. This has nothing to do with Trump. Just want to get that out there. But he owns a building, and on this particular day, we made our way up the street, and we came to a corner, and on one side is the Trump building with the gold lettering, and it's a beautiful building, and I've been in there a few times, and you can buy golf balls that are solid gold right in the the gift store. Power, influence, people of of high society, and right directly across the street, you're going to find a church where the homeless will rest. They'll come every day. They're buses that we work with, this, out, uh, this homeless ministry where we'll pull up, we'll, we'll partner with them, we'll pull up, we'll feed them, we'll give them bread, we'll give them soup. And on this particular day, we come to this corner and we see the Trump Towers and we see the homeless right there. Two worlds, one on each side, never to cross. Each day, the two worlds, they would see each other, one never crossing to the other. We on the church side for four hours that day, ministering to the homeless, and not once did someone cross the street, lend a hand, or give of their time. There was actually a moment, I remember this, I recall, that Laura and I, my wife Laura, we were down on a pre-trip, and we were at this particular place, and we see a homeless man digging in the garbage. He was almost falling in. He was looking for food. Laura and I went up to the man, tapped him on the shoulder, gave him two bucks or a couple dollars, and as soon as we turned around, we were confronted by a business guy, right in our faces. And he said, don't do that. Don't give them money. You're the reason why they're still here. I have to say I have a good wife. She pulled me away from that situation. It could have been a little bit different if she wasn't there. I wouldn't have done anything illegal. (laughs) That was a hard one to walk away from. See, there's a danger of allowing society and culture to dictate how we respond to people. See, Jesus looked at us in a holistic way, both body and soul, both physical and spiritual, and knows regardless of status and culture norms, there is a common denominator that every one of us will face. Do you know what it is? Death. We're all going to face death. And Jesus knew that. He knew we can live our lives a certain way, our physical lives, with our body and our heart pumping. And we can, we can do life together or we can ignore life. We, could, we can indulge as much as we want or restrain ourselves. You can have everything and you can have nothing, but still there's a common denominator. We're going to die. And Jesus knew that. See, death is the great equalizer for us all. Many of us in this room, we may sit by people from different walks of life, different parts of life, different places we've come from. But one thing we can be sure of, one thing that we can count on, we don't really want to count on it, but we can count on it, death is coming. Possessions and status symbols are left behind. And what God considers is not written down in numbers and dollar signs. Death, it's on its way. 
So Jesus first, he breaks down the first part of the story and gives us a view of what we can see between these two worlds and then kind of start thinking about our own lives. What can we take from that? What's the application for us? Well, God wants us to love him with all of our hearts, minds, and strength and love us, love him with our spiritual lives as, as well, with our souls. And he says he wants us to look out for people. See, in God's kingdom, a compassionate heart that is changed by God will lead us and direct us to help others. Look at the church today. It's full. Helping, leading, loving, living. We do in church together. That's a good thing. But God wants us to know that death is on its way. In verses 22 to 24, the next part of the the story that I want to highlight, I titled it, Death Has Come. Jumping right into the scripture, we see Lazarus dies and is welcomed into divine favor, which the text calls Abraham's side. We look at that in the Greek, it's called Abraham's bosom. The rich man dies and is buried, but ends up in hell, Hades, the Greek, in torment, far away from Lazarus. Verse 25 displays that Lazarus is comforted. And the rich man in verse 24 says, I am in agony in this fire. Two different places. There's a place for us. You believe in God or not, there's a place for us. And that's something that when I was younger and when I was growing up and I began to read the Bible, that scared me. It doesn't scare me no more. I rejoice in the hope. I know which side I'm going to be on. It clearly states But some of us may be nervous and scared, maybe timid to know. But there is a place for both, one in glory and one in torment. And the biblical view of what happens when we die shows us that even though death comes, there is a place for us. You could take that as good news, or you can take that as scary news. But the biblical view debunks the view of the naturalist, which shares nothing happens upon death, And clearly shows that the rich man didn't get to live his life any way he wanted and then just, well, how do I say it? Any way he wanted and then was just welcomed into glory as some would would think and understand. We also see that there's this great chasm fixed between the places and access is denied between the two. We can talk about the conversion between, or the conversation between the rich man and Abraham in a moment, but no... Know that there is nowhere in the text that it says that he will be let out. Hell is not jail, and you don't get parole for good behavior. See, we don't believe in purgatory, and we don't believe that eventually the fires will go out, and you will cease to exist. And just to point out, we did not read at all that he came back as a ladybug, or a fern, or another person. (laughs) At all. It's not there. We don't read that. He is there. He is there in spirit. His spirit is real. His spirit is alive. And his spirit in this text that Jesus, the most loving, humble, helpful servant person, God in the flesh came, he told the story. And we also see that he's in torment. And death may end our physical lives, but we are still alive and we are still conscious. And Lazarus, here's the hope, here's the glory is experiencing glory and comfort and grace and mercy with God. There is a place for us. 
And I want to remind you, a good reminder question, who's telling the story? Who's telling the parable? See, Jesus is God in the flesh who came on the rescue mission for the souls of men and women. Remember, we, I said that God both cares about our physical, but he also cares about the great common denominator, death. He cares about that. So we see Jesus knows what's coming, and he came to intercede the transaction so that we could experience his love, his grace, his freedom, and his mercy both later, but also at this very moment. Now, today, while we're alive, we can have the grace and mercy of God on our side. That's good news. It is though Christ and Christ alone, or it is through Christ and Christ alone that we are welcomed into glory. And the challenge and the warning is don't let the distractions or the petitions or the multiple views distract you from the truth. We are sinners in need of saving. However you cover the outside, the inside still says we need Jesus. We need his hope. We need his peace. We need his grace. And we needed the transaction of the cross so that we could live. I love Jesus. I love that he from heaven seen my state, seen your state, and decided to come out of heaven to earth to go to the cross so that we could live. So that we could live, so that we could have joy even though hard times come, even though situations arise, we have the hope of God. We have the hope of God. Death is the great equalizer, but there is hope in Jesus. Our third view, our third placement is a conversation from the grave. A conversation from the grave. See, the rich man, he looks up and he sees Abraham and Lazarus together. He calls to the great patriarch of the faith and asks for Lazarus to be sent to him. And there's a few points worth noting here as we dive into the scripture. See, the rich man, here it is, drum roll please, he knew who Lazarus was. He knew him. During his lifetime on earth, he knew the poor man was out at his gate, had needs, and knew his name, and did nothing. He asked for Lazarus by name. The rich man's view of Lazarus hasn't changed since his death. He still views him as beneath him or as someone who might be sent to give him relief. This reveals the hard-heartedness of his heart. It is up to Abraham to reply for eternity. Heaven is not like earth, he says. He points out how the tables were reversed during the life on earth. The rich man had all and Lazarus had nothing. The rich man was comforted and the poor man coped with torment. Here in this place, it's the reverse condition. But there's one feature that is different from our life now. There is an uncrossable barrier, a gulf, a great chasm. See, Abraham notes at one time the conditions were not fixed, and there was a time where the rich man could have done for Lazarus what he is asking Lazarus to do for him. But now it's permanent. See, right there, that's a pause for us as we read this story. This is a, this is a moment where we think we can do different things right now. So many people that we get to talk to in the church, we get to pray with, we get to, to walk beside, feel like they're stuck in one view 
one road when it comes to, when it comes to their, their, their workplace, their family. See, we plan all kinds of things. We plan our trips, we plan our money, our 401ks and our retirement. We plan what kind of car we're we gonna buy, what, what school we're gonna go to. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, we kind of just, ah, we'll just make it happen. Well, I got the pattern going. But at any time, the God of the universe, the God of creation, he's listening, he's bending his ear, he's interceding. We could go to him and say, God, change my heart. I wanted to live this way. I want to live for you. I don't want to be in this rut anymore. God, help me. Take me on this journey. Take me to know you. Grow me in my sanctification, my likeness of you. But do you pray that? Do you ask that? Do you take those moments and say, God, this is, let's let's just be real for a second. I see this, and this is what I have, and don't look like that. But I'm not, I'm not going to do anything right here. I just hope it happens. God says, come and seek me out with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, with all of your soul. Come on this journey with me. Your life will change. Is there testimony in this room of that here today? Amen. My life, your life, many of us in this room, we are not the same people when we came to know the Lord. And at, day by day, as we grow closer to God, we're changing. And I praise God for that because I was a wicked man. I'm still broken. I'm still in need of Jesus every moment of every day. Even this morning, Andrew came and got me at my office and said, we got prayer time. You got to come. I said, absolutely. Let's go. So we get upstairs and we begin to pray. My first prayer is, God, I'm nervous to get in front of people. I'm a broken man. I need you at this moment to calm my nerves because your word, it's holy. It's set apart. It's an instruction for my life and for our lives, and I don't want to mess that up today. God, I need you to help me. I need Jesus every moment. And I know that God's not done with me. And he's not done with you either. At any moment, on this side, with God's breath in our mouths and in our noses, beating this heart, we can go to him, and we can change things. You have a situation with your family, your child, or you're the child and you're not talking to your parents, that situation can change. You have an important role at, at, at your employer's office or someone you work for and things aren't going well. Don't talk behind their back. Go to them and work it out. Use communication. So many things can be done right now, but we're nervous and we're scared. But God says, I will never leave you or I will never forsake you. And I will challenge you to take those steps. If there are things in your life that are wrong, make them right in God. Because there's a place for us. A great chasm. Abraham notes at one time the conditions were not fixed and he had all the time in the world to make a difference. Understanding all is lost for him, he turns the tables. This is the first time we see this. He intercedes for his five brothers. This is the first time we see the rich man show concern for others. He once again pleads Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers, but Lazarus replies in not so many words, read the Old Testament. God cares. God's care and concern for people has not changed because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even from the garden when he supplied coverings for Adam and Eve, God has been for us. 
even though we've let him down. And all through history, God has not changed. He's been for us. He hasn't been against us. Read the Old Testament, he says. God cares. God's care and concerns for people have not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. A renewed heart by God will cause us to love God, pursue God, obey God, listen to God, listen to the scriptures. Our renewed hearts will cause us to see our neighbors in need and without hesitation, go, help, love, and share the gospel. You see, the rich man wanted Lazarus to leave glory, to help him. I know this is a little selfish of me, but once I get to glory, <laughs> I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back here. Once I get to see Jesus and I get to go by his side, I don't want to come back. Jesus, the God man, stepped out of heaven into this world to help us. You see, the rich man wanted Lazarus to go to his brothers, and Jesus came from, for the whole world on a rescue mission so that we would not be where the rich man is. See, what the rich man wanted Lazarus to do, Jesus does. Jesus does. He's the one that has done it. Here's the irony of the parable, though. The rich man persists. He he insists with Abraham that if one is sent from the dead to warn them, they will repent. See, people today, we need something supernatural and spectacular to change people's minds. We need to have the lights and the, the cameras, and we have to do these miraculous things so people will trust in Jesus. But Abraham's reply is so revealing, for it shows the depth of hard-heartedness. Even if someone rises from the dead, they will still not be convinced. They'll still not be convinced. It's just another feed on the Facebook. Whoa, that's awesome. Nothing changes. Abraham is instructing this man. So we know and we read this in the Gospels today, knowing the stories of Jesus and how true this statement is, for Jesus' resurrection only convinced some he was God. There were many in that culture and many still today who reject God, reject the Gospel, reject, reject the truth. A hard heart produces eyes that do not see the activity of God and ears that do not heed the warning much less the revelation he graciously reveals. A hard heart produces eyes that do not see the activity of God and ears that do not heed the warnings, much less the revelation he graciously reveals. See, this parable, the master storyteller, Jesus, as he's working through, heading to the cross, pauses and shares this story. And this parable closes with a dark and tragic note about humanity, that humanity often misses the opportunity God makes available to them. Beloved, here it is. Here's the takeaway point today. The Bible has been given so that we can live with confidence and with assurance, not fear. Confidence and assurance of what is to come. God does not leave us in the dark about what is to come. There is a place for us. This parable, even though it highlights the question, what happens when we die, also has an underlining theme of compassion. Of compassion. A softened heart by God will result in compassion towards others. If you have God in your life, 
you have changed and you are changing. You have changed and you are changing. A softened heart by God will result in compassion towards others. See, there is a grave warning about what we do now in these short years that will affect eternity. So here's the thing. Let us do this together. Let us work this out together. Let us look at the scriptures together. Let us read it in the body together. Let us work out our theology together so that we will believe it personally. So when the times change and, and the stories come and the petitions are arriving, we will be solid in Christ on what we believe and we will take a step out into culture, out into society, out into the neighborhood and share, there is a place for you and it's with God. It's with Jesus. It's with him for eternity. We have to do that together. We have to lead well in Christ. We're all called to do that. The Bible declares that those who put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved, the Bible declares. Not only from, saved from a situation or a sickness or a financial issue that's going on in your, in your life at this moment, you'll be saved and be kept safe for eternity with God. And that's good news. That's good news. So this morning as we close and the band comes up and we sing a joyful song to, about trusting in God, I wanna ask this question. If you've never trusted in Christ, why not today? Why not today? If you've heard this message and you've heard this story and you've seen clearly the teaching on what Jesus has presented, that there is a place for us and you have never taken that step and put your trust in God, why not? Why not? If you're here today, and maybe this is the first time, or you've never made a commitment to Christ, I'm going to pray in a few minutes, or in a few seconds. I'm praying now. I'm going there. I'm just going to pray. If you want to be included in that prayer, you just repeat what I'm praying when I get to that point. And as the Bible says, you will be saved. And for those other people who have, who have already made a commitment, who are walking with Christ, know that place where you're at. You have confidence. You have assurance. If you're struggling, please pray and speak to your pastors. We're here. We're doing life together at Calvary Baptist Church. Our mandate and our goal is to present everyone fully in Christ. And we do this life together. You're important to us. And I know that we are important to you because we're a family. And we're going to do it together. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we just love you and we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and open up your word to celebrate the goodness that we, we see in it. We know that you are not leaving big holes in our, our questions about what happens to us when we die. God, there is a place for us and there is a story for us. It's the gospel truth. It's the message of you, Jesus, leaving heaven, knowing that the common denominator for all of us is death. You came to save us. So God, I'm praying. And at this moment, God, I'm praying that you would search hearts at this moment, that you would bend your ear down and listen to those who have never put their trust in you. And if there are those here that are, have never put their trust in you and want to take that, that step right now and say, God, I've heard the gospel and I want to trust you with my life. 
I pray that you would hear this prayer. God, I know that I am a sinner. I've heard this truth about you coming on a rescue mission and dying in my place so that I could have not just life now, but eternal life with you. God, I recognize there is a place for me. And that's by your side. God, I want to thank you for your death. I want to thank you for your life. And I want to put my trust in you. God, will you help me? Will you lead me? Will you love me? Will you save me? I present myself to you now in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray for those who know you, who love you, who have assurance and confidence in you. God, I pray for the church today as a whole. I'm praying for the church in all of our community. God, I pray that you would continue to make us sharp and right and moving in your likeness, God. I pray that we would be stepping out to love our neighbors and that we would be submitting our hearts to you and saying, God, change this situation. Change my heart, God. Change my bitterness towards this person. Change my fill in the blank. So God, that we would be ready for when you come, but we would also be ready to present the gospel and the truth to others. God, we thank you that you're the master storyteller and that we are learning so much this season in your word. I just thank you for this truth that we are, we are able to study and look at today. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we leave here today, let us remember this, that there is a place for us. There's a place in glory with God, but there's a place far away from God's glory. But please know this, that Jesus came to live a life for us that we could not live, to satisfy a wrath we could not satisfy and make the only way to God. See, our bodies, they break down and we die, but our spirits, they live. And the good news of the gospel is that we can live with God both now and forever. Turn to God. He loves you. He's for you. He's with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace your love, and your presence in this church and in our lives. God, when we go today, help us to go with confidence knowing that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you love us, and that you love our neighbors. God, help us to be walking light in our community. And God, help us not to leave here in fear because you offer truth. We love you, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We'll be down front if you'd like to pray. Bless you.